teeter-totters and friendship. That's what we're talking about today. You know, I woke up and I thought, I don't really want to go for a walk. And then I checked my email and I had a couple of messages from some of you that emailed me to say how much you appreciate these walk and chats already. And I thought, now I totally want to go for a walk because I feel like you're right by my side. You've got your shoes on. We're huffing and puffing together, knowing that life isn't perfect. We don't have it all together, but we're just friends with our shoes on and our chat going on and we're walking and talking and sharing. And I just wanted to say thank you. If you've If you follow me so far, or if you've jumped in today, my name is Becky with A Better Way to Homeschool. And the purpose of these walk and chats, my dad would use the phrase multifaceted. There's so many reasons why I started this. So many good things that are already coming from this. But I wanted to let you know a few. One, friendship and accountability. Oh my goodness gracious, it's terribly lonely to be walking by yourself, to be doing life alone, to be struggling and to be unconfident and insecure. And yet when you have a friend that you can share life with and you can share life's experiences with, you can talk things through, just listen. Oh, it makes a world of a difference. Back in episode one, I think, because remember, if I haven't told you yet, I am like Dory from Finding Nemo. I do have short-term memory issues, and I do forget what I say after I said it. <laughs> but I do remember talking about... <clears throat> I just forgot what I was going to say. As if to prove the point, circling back to that first episode... I promise that these would be unedited and raw. I am a mom of five and I forget things. I forget things a lot. Sometimes it's extremely embarrassing. But here I am walking and I'm thinking about you and I'm thinking of the power of accountability. Having someone that you know is gonna show up in the morning with her shoes on ready to go for a walk helps you put your shoes on and get ready and go for a walk. And so I wanted to thank you for being part of this journey with me, for laughing with me that I just forgot my train of thought a few moments ago, and for not judging me, for not being perfect. I was listening to a few other podcasts yesterday, and I thought, wow, they really have it all together. They sound like they know what they're doing, that they might even have notes and outlines. And here I am just walking apparently in the rain. And I just have an idea of something that I want to share with you. And I hope that you enjoy that. I hope that you enjoy that this is real and that I just wanted to bring you along on this thought that I have this morning. When I was a little girl, a million, and I do mean a million years ago, I remember this day that my little sisters and I were running wild in the neighborhood. By wild, I mean them. I was the oldest, I was the tattletale, 
I tended to stay very close to my mom. And my little sisters had run off into the space behind, I would say it was woods, what it really was undeveloped country back in San Diego long, long ago before there were a trillion people living there. And I remember that the kids found one of those metal barrels. And right there, there was also some construction debris. And so the neighborhood kids created a makeshift teeter-totter. They took that barrel, they took a piece of wood, and they made this teeter-totter. Kids on one side, kids on another side, going up and down and up and down. You don't see a lot of teeter-totters anymore. I happened to be in the car, actually the ferry ride day with my family, and I spied a teeter-totter through the trees. And I went, hey, a teeter-totter. My husband, of course, thought it was a mountain bike exercise piece of equipment that you would ride across and practice the art of maneuvering. But it was a teeter-totter. And the way that a teeter-totter works is it has a physics term. (laughs) I think it's called a fulcrum. You can correct me if I'm wrong, and you can judge me if you want to. But I gave birth to a scientist, so I'll just check my facts with him later. But you have a piece of board that rests on a pivot point, a fulcrum. And you have people on one side, and then people on another side. And then the, the change in the force, the change in the weight, makes one side go up and one side go down. Well, lately, as I've been really thinking about homeschool and the challenges that so many have with, what do I teach my kids? What kind of, what kinds of things do they need to know? And then I listen to how bound and chained so many of you are by your curriculum and the, the stress and the overwhelm of what the kids need to know by the time they graduate high school. And I truly believe the Lord's given me this image of a teeter-totter. So I want you to imagine on one side of the teeter-totter is that group of years from birth until the kids have their basic fundamental skills down, inside and out. And then on the other side of the teeter-totter, that's where learning becomes fun, where kids become lifelong learners. So let's talk about that, because I believe that in every subject, there are two sides of a teeter-totter. The first side is the necessary side. It's the learning the fundamental vocabulary. It's mastering those basic facts and figures and things that you stand upon, right? In order for me to be walking out here with you, I need to know how to tie my shoes. That's a fundamental skill. But in order for me to walk far, that's a whole different skill. In homeschool, think through the different subject areas for a second. You've got Bible, you've got math, you have language, which includes reading, writing, and grammar. You have history, science, music, art, dance, mechanics, all these things. Each and every subject, excuse me, has a foundational base 
that everything else rests upon. You can't do math if you don't know how to count. If you don't know that that single vertical line represents the number one, you just can't do math unless you know your numbers. You know how to count. You know how to skip count. You know that a cup is smaller than three pounds. You know that an elephant weighs more than a hummingbird. Fundamental math facts. In my videos over the course of the years, I always say the quick rattle off that your kids need to add, subtract, multiply, and divide, do fractions, do decimals, do percentages, measure, etc. Basic fundamental math. In language, they need to know their ABCs. They knew that they need to know that A apple B ball, right? They need to know that the letters, the symbols, make sounds that you blend together to make words. They need to know how to hold a pencil eventually, eventually. They need to have fine motor skills so that they can write neatly. They need to have a growing bank of vocabulary. The same is true in history. They should know the basic timeline in the beginning was the word. They need to know, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. They need to know beginning, middle, and end. They need to know that history is made up of people like them doing boring or amazing things that have life lessons and things that they need to absorb. This, these lessons of wisdom or foolishness that can be taught in the comfort of their living room under a tent in the backyard. These life lessons that we can learn from people of the past that we can carry with us into the future. Science has the fundamental foundation of curiosity. Huh, I wonder why this happens. <laughs> Just the other day, my 19-year-old looks at me and says, Mom, can I grind some oatmeal, mix it with some eggs and some apple and some spices and make myself a pancake? And I looked at him and I said, Dude, you, you have been exhibiting a special pattern because you are the king of investigation in the kitchen. And some of your creations are flat out gross. But I'm going to encourage you to lean into that curiosity and to consider taking culinary school. Because I think the scientist within you wants to experiment in the kitchen. Science is about asking questions and then following a prescribed order of events to answer that question or to gather more information. So when you look at everything, art, you need to know colors. You need to know primary colors and tertiary colors and secondary colors and you need to know lines and curves, music, oh, music, whole chords, notes. You don't necessarily need to know how to read music at first, but you need to appreciate the sounds of music. Identify the sounds between a drum, a kazoo, and a violin, and to appreciate <laughs> the sound that a violin makes when a two-year-old touches it for the first time versus when someone that is 
first chair in an orchestra plays their fiddle. Every single subject has one side of the teeter-totter being all about the foundations. And in homeschool, that's where we start. We start by investing into our kids in the foundational side of the teeter-totter. So important, so important. And when you're schooling, you don't have to neglect art to prioritize math. You get to do it all. You get to pick the subjects that are important to you and your family, but you start with the foundations. <clears throat> Excuse me. At some point, at some point, the teeter-totter starts to level out. The kids have learned the fundamentals. And it's at this point that homeschooling becomes magic because, or a failure. If, if you don't pivot with the teeter-totter, if you don't start to get creative with how you look at, and I love to use math as an example because it's black and white. If you don't start to make math fun, if you don't start to make math real and uh, applicable to the child's life, then they stay stuck on that lower side of the teeter-totter and they're never able to get off the ground. They're never able to, to be lifted by math or science or writing or history or art or music. So I, I challenge you to look at your kids. Typically kids that, and this is a stereotype, but kids that are eight and under are still on the foundation side of most subjects. Most subjects. They still need to know what a product is and a quotient and a minuend and a subtrahend and an add end and what's a difference and all those other terms that homeschoolers like to avoid. So focus on that until they know it. And then get creative. Do a lot of cooking, do a lot of measuring and cutting and building, planning, estimating, looking for picture books and videos and life lessons where math is applied. And see at this point, if your child leans toward it. You know, in all four, five of our boys, we learned our math lesson the hard way. We kept advancing our oldest son through math because he could. He, we put him in algebra because he could do algebra. We put him in pre-calculus because he could do pre-calculus and then calculus. He also did geometry. And I can still see him suffering from daily migraine headaches because he was in calculus. It wasn't because he wasn't smart enough to handle it. Listen carefully. It's because he wasn't and isn't a mathematician. The child breathes history. And here we pushed him through math all the way into calculus just because he could. So when I look at all five of my sons, the other four, we kind of grabbed by the back of their necks like puppies and held them back, concentrating on that one side of the teeter-totter, all about foundations. And only one of them leaned forward and pushed hard to push the teeter-totter over into the land of math. 
Only one. That's our Sam. Sam's our mathematician. And he's the one that he stole some of his little brother's calculus papers so that he could practice just for fun. (laughs) Most kids are not mathematicians. And that's okay. Your daughter, your son may be a dancer or a future engineer or a future chef or mechanic or doctor or lawyer. They might not need those higher math concepts. So examine what you're doing with homeschool (laughs) so that you don't end up that day when my little sisters, I think I was there again, Dory memory, so I don't really remember, but I know they were out there playing with that barrel and the piece of wood. And the problem is, is that if you don't operate that teeter-totter and you don't respect it, Somebody gets crushed. (laughs) One of my sisters got her fingers stuck under that piece of wood. I can still hear her scream, even though she was probably four, which was hmm, a few decades ago. So understand that when you look at your kids and you're, you're looking at their education, when you're worrying, what should I do for language arts with my 12 year old? Well, are you reading? Do they have a voracious appetite for stories? Do you give them a bingo card that has squares on it like poetry, nonfiction, science fiction, a screenplay, graphic novel, etc. And then say over the course of the next year, you need to pick six, 12, 14, whatever, however many, six books that you find within each of these categories. And when you fill out that card, I'm going to take you out to fill in the blank your favorite hamburger joint, your favorite ice cream parlor, the day spa, whatever. And we'll just talk about which ones you loved and which ones you hated and why and etc. Language arts, history. Oh, I remember sitting across the table with my historian. He was in eighth grade and he, he was so mad. He was, he was burning with frustration. He hated school. And I sat across the table, I sent the little boys out in the backyard, and I said, buddy, I owe you an apology. And he kind of cocked his head like a puppy. I said, dude, you love history, and I'm killing you with history assignments. Give me all your history. So he handed it to me, and I set it aside. I go, you're done. I go, don't you want to be, or I asked him, what do you want to be when you grow up? He's like a history professor in high school. I said, great. From now on, we're going to get some of those manila folders and we're going to write ancient history, U.S. history, world history. And then you're going to create an outline and start start pulling and finding things that you want to share with your future classroom. I said, give me your English. I go, don't you love to write? And he's like, yeah. I go, I'm not giving you time to write that novel. At the time, he was trying to write a novel about a samurai. He loved that Japanese samurai history. He said, from now until the end of the year, I'm going to give you one to two hours a day to work on your novel. It was at this point that he burst into tears because he, he was stuck on the wrong side of the teeter-totter. And when I tapped on his heart and gave him not only permission, but time to apply 
what he already knew and seek for what it is he loved and what he was really interested in. It touched his heart in a way that exposed this area of deep passion and desire. Teeter-totters. Look at your homeschool. Look at what you're doing. And really pray and really look. Is what I'm doing with this subject on the wrong side of the teeter-totter? Did we already master the basics? Do they already have the fundamental vocabulary? If not, go back. Do that. But if you're on the wrong side of the teeter-totter, you're on the this should be fun and passion-filled side and you're still doing the next lesson and doing the next lesson and doing the next lesson, consider pausing your curriculum and digging into what your child is truly interested in and then find a creative way to bring that topic to life. In the next podcast, I will share with you what I call some secret sauce and how you can apply secret sauce to that other side of the teeter-totter.